Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the televised podcast. Uh, my name is Anna, and I will be doing today a deep dive discussion. This will be the first in a series that I plan on releasing one, hopefully every other week, and f until October. These, I think, are going to be the only episodes coming out because Supergirl obviously is not airing episodes until October. I'll probably do like a big preseason wrap-up of maybe all the news that we're going to get between now and then, and, you know, another trailer breakdown probably. So today I'm going to be talking about a topic that has been hotly debated for a very long time, but the debate heated up immensely after the death of Lexa. Now the CW really got its uh, claim to not fame, that's for sure. Uh, it's, it's reputation, I guess. It got its reputation of being a network that wasn't super LGBT friendly around 2015-16 seasons um, on, the, on, the, on the network. But since then, I feel like they've done a lot to change that and to make their network truly more inclusive. So let's get into it. For a majority of the population, finding a character on television to relate to isn't a hard task. It's as simple as turning on the TV if you're a straight white man, but if you fall into any other category, finding good minority representation gets increasingly harder. Over the years, LGBT representation on TV has had its ups and downs, but lately, it seems to be on the up. One channel specifically, The CW, seems to be leading the pack when it comes to representation of those in the LGBT community, and more specifically in the area of queer women, who were never as populous as gay male characters. The CW, in just the last five years, has added an LGBT character to nearly every one of their shows, and has constantly shown growth in how those characters are treated and represented. But how did they get here? To answer this question, I'll be examining the evolution of the CW's LGBT representation over the years, as well as how that evolution affects their target demographic which is women ages 18 to 34. Now, just for context, I will get into the demographic thing later. I think that's one of the last points that I hit, but just for some context early on, CBS, which is the CW's parent channel, has an 18 to 49 demographic. So the CW's demographic is, is very, very narrow, which is very unusual for a network to have, unless you're like a real like specialty network. But I feel like this the CW is, is one of those networks that's like your average kind of uh, non-cable network, like an ABC or, uh, you know, CBS or like a Fox or like an FX, something like that. So this is very unusual, just, you know, for context. So let's take it back to 2002. It's May. George W. Bush's president, A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton, just came out. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer is in its sixth season on what was then called the WB. Buffy not only led the pack in having a strong lead female character, but it also featured one of the CW's first LGBT main characters in the lesbian Willow Rosenberg and one of their first major LGBT couples in Willow and her girlfriend Tara McClay. This couple was extremely popular, as well as important in the progress of LGBT representation. But looking back, their relationship was unbelievably toxic, and Tara's death is one of the main examples cited when referencing the barrier gaze TV trope. The barrier gaze TV trope, also known as the dead lesbian trope, is when TV writers and showrunners will kill their LGBT and specifically lesbian characters more often than their straight counterparts, and are often killed after joyous events, declarations of love, and even marriage. 
Now, before I get into it, I just want to say that I don't hate Tara and Willow. I don't. This is not a hate post. This is not me trashing their ship. I do have some, like, controversial things. I don't know. I don't really know the the consensus of, of Twillow, but I do know that I described the problematic parts of their relationship just to paint a picture of what representation was like on the CW at the time using their most prominent relationship at the time. I'm not trying to to shit on it. I just am using them as an example so that we can look at the growth later on, especially when you compare them to the couples that are on the channel today. I, you will see the growth. So for starters, during their relationship in season six, Willow was becoming addicted to her magic, and when Willow proposes a magical solution to a friend's dating problem, Tara and Willow get into a fight. When Willow decides she doesn't want to fight anymore, she casts a spell on Tara to make them forget the fight and put everything back to normal. Weeks, a writer from their website, The Mary Sue, even argues that every intimate scene they have up until Tara regains the memory of the fight is not entirely consensual, since Tara is not consenting with full information about her relationship with Willow. The main problem is that the show never dives deeper into these relationship issues, just skipping straight to the kissing when they finally get back together after their breakup. This is an issue because all the sapphic women who are seeing themselves represented for the first time on screen are either unknowingly being manipulated into thinking that Tara and Willow's relationship was one to strive for, or giving those who did know better a bad representation of themselves. I know that, in reality, some lesbians are terrible people. But when there's such little representation on TV, like there was at this time, the responsibility to the audience is more prevalent. And that's, I think, another thing that is so different about today, is we have Killing Eve. Like, we have a show called Killing Eve where Villanelle is a murderous sociopath who is an assassin and we're all cool with it that she's, like, bisexual, which I think is awesome because that means that we're at a point in representation where every character doesn't have to be a representation of the community or like a pillar of the community because for a long time there needed to be like good lgbt characters on tv like morally good in order to paint a positive picture of the lgbt community but now that there's an actually enough representation of the lgbt community on tv we can actually finally finally have shows where they are morally ambiguous or morally gray or just straight up bad LGBT characters. They're just terrible people. And that's okay because they don't have to be good people. So a CW show that is a great example of the idea of maintaining this, this balance between having a problematic lesbian character and having a problematic like, sapphic relationship on the show is Jane the Virgin. They have handled, I think, at least in my opinion, Rose and Louisa so, so well, especially just because we're in this time, like I said, we're in this time where we don't need every single lesbian character or bisexual character. I'm sorry, I think Rose is bisexual, but every single bisexual character or lesbian character or whatever to be a good person. We don't. We don't need that anymore, which is so, so nice because it sucks when, yeah, you put a cap on, on that kind of creativity and, and, that, and that sucks. So with Rose, she has been 
kind of the big bad of Jane the Virgin the whole time. She was introduced in season one, and we first met Rose as the former attorney and then socialite wife of Emilio Solano, who is Raphael and Luisa's father. And so she falls in love with Luisa, and that is what kickstarts their relationship. And the show even describes her as a textbook sociopath, and she ends up, spoiler alert, being the big, like, drug lord, Sin Rostro, sorry for the pronunciation, but but she ends up being that massive, massive drug lord, and then, you know, just being this humongous villain for the whole show. Like, this season, which is the final season, she's still around. She's still the villain. Like, in the finale, almost, you know, two episodes from the finale, she was still threatening to kidnap Mateo, Jane's son, and to, you know, I want Louisa, I want Louisa, because their relationship was so, so toxic, like, so unbelievably toxic. Like, Rose literally wiped Michael's mind just to, like, try and still have this, like, relationship with Louisa. Like, this relationship is horrible, and that's okay. It is. It's okay. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be the pinnacle of representation because we don't need that anymore from this show specifically, especially because on the same show, we have another amazing ship, Petra and JR. Petra is a character that came out as bisexual. She used to be married to Raphael um, and she has the twins with him, but then they got a divorce. So now she's dating Jane Ramos, which is just really cool because now, again, we have these other characters on the same exact show who are healthy and are making up for the fact that, you know, Rose and Louisa are just so unbelievably toxic. So again, you know, we don't need Rose to be a perfect character. We don't need Louisa and hers relationship to be the perfect relationship. We have, you know, something, you know, decently close to that already in, in Jane and Petra. So it, that's just really cool to see and to, you know, to have it be on the same show is, is just awesome. I also wanted to bring up that Rose actually just died. Uh, spoiler alerts, I'm so sorry. Spoilers uh, for the last season of Jane the Virgin. But Rose just died in the second to last episode of this season. And for me, you know, this doesn't qualify as another dead lesbian trope, everybody sound the alarms, or dead, you know, killing off your LGBT characters trope. I think that, you know, this one was genuinely earned and genuinely deserved, especially for, again, spoilers, Louisa to be the one to off her after putting through her through all of this pain through all, over all of this time. You know, it, it is, it, obviously, it is a very, like, sticky and, and very thin line to walk killing your LGBT characters, but genuinely when it is like character development and then it's it's definitely warranted because she's not being killed because she's Luis's lover. Like, Luis is not killing her because she's like, oh my god, I'm so mad that I'm in love with you or whatever, because she's not. She's over her. She's so just so sick of the torture and the abuse from from the relationship. Rose obviously got her just desserts for being, you know, a drug dealer and, and killing people and being manipulative and, and mind-wiping Michael and all of that. It it just, it was a great payoff. It, it, I don't think it contributed. And, and it was nice because I haven't even seen any um, 
discussion about this related to that trope in any way so that that has been really nice that now see writers you don't have to be so scared you don't have to be so scared to kill your lgbt characters because as long as you have a good reason nobody's gonna yell at you i swear nobody is gonna yell at you about this situation because i think we all can agree that rose definitely deserved it whether you liked her as a character or not because again like she was an amazing villain and we can all recognize how great of a villain she was but you can i think we all we all can agree that she definitely deserved it. <laughs> she deserved what she got, and I, I, I don't think, and I hope that nobody is fighting the Jane the Virgin writers over this. Um, you know, so again, this is a really cool development to see that, you know, we're at this point where you can kill your LGBT characters because, again, there are more on the show. There are other characters on the show. You're not just killing off your one LGBT character. And... There's a genuine reason for them to be killed off, where in other scenarios, you know, maybe these characters didn't earn it, and maybe it just doesn't work in the journey of this character, in the storyline of this character, maybe it demeans that storyline. And I think for Rose's, it only enhanced it, and especially it enhanced Louisa's. But that's what sucked about Tara and Willow, is that when Willow was displaying these these bad behaviors, and, and their relationship was uh, getting really toxic, that wasn't cool because there just wasn't enough gay women on screen to make up for the fact that that Tara and Willow weren't good or weren't great representation or whatever. Again, I'm not trying to like minimize their importance in the fight for LGBT representation on television, but at the same time, I'm just saying that we need to acknowledge the faults of their relationship and how we are different now. So, yes, Tara and Willow's relationship was terrible, but that crime is nothing compared to how their storyline ended. In the season 6 episode titled Seeing Red, Tara McClay dies. At the end of the episode, the main antagonist of the season, Warren Mears, is trying to shoot Xander and Buffy in Willow's backyard, but the bullet flies through the window of Willow's bedroom, striking Tara in the back as she's facing Willow. She collapses into Willow's arms and dies. That scene has gone down in infamy as one of the biggest examples of the barrier gaze trope. The fact that the bullet was not even meant for her, that she died simply because Xander and Buffy ducked out of the way, is disrespectful and almost unbelievable in a show where humans survive vampire attacks constantly. On a show where everyone is constantly at risk of death, it seemed that only the gay character's girlfriend had to be the one to actually die. And that's another thing that bothers me, is that you have shows like this show, like Buffy, you have shows like The Walking Dead, The Hundred, all of these apocalyptic shows that are always like, it's our show and anybody can die, anybody is at risk of death. Like, yeah, I guess. But you know who's still alive? Bellamy. You know what I mean? Like, the man who became a mass murderer because he was sad? Like, he's still alive, but guess who's not? LGBT characters. But sure, anybody could die. Well, speaking of the hundred, in 2016, everything changed regarding LGBT representation on the CW, which prompted me to split the CW's representation into two eras, pre-Lexa and post-Lexa. 
Lexa was a lesbian character on the CW show The 100 that changed the way everyone in the industry sees and treats LGBT characters on TV. She was a guest star character that first appeared in season 2, episode 6 of The 100 and was instantly a fan favorite. In episode 9, she revealed that she had a dead female lover in a very casual, effective coming out scene. In episode 14, Clark, the bisexual main character, and Lexa kiss, effectively planting the seed for a love story. In the finale, Lexa betrays Clark, and they're separated at the end of the season, leaving their future love story a cliffhanger. During the hiatus between season 2 and season 3, an unbelievable amount of hype was built around these two characters, and the ship was dubbed Clexa. And I don't know if y'all were there for that, but I was there. I started watching The 100 at the recommendation of Twitter, basically, and everybody was like, you have to watch the show, this character's amazing, like, this lesbian character is so good. And I was so invested that summer. I was so invested. I was so into it. I was on the Klexa train. I was like ready for it. I was ready. And then season three of The 100 aired and for the first six episodes, viewers were lulled into a false sense of security, certain that Lexa wasn't dying. The showrunner, Jason Rothenberg, had even posted pictures of the actress who plays Lexa, Alicia Debnam Carey, on set of the finale, making hardcore fans think she lived through the season. Then, episode 7 aired, and Lexa died. She died immediately after consummating her relationship with Clark, caught by a stray bullet, shot by her own father figure. This ending caused an uproar. Lexa was a warrior, a commander. Why had she died in such a disrespectful way? I had expected Lexa to die at the head of her army or in some other sacrificial circumstance, so seeing her be struck by a stray bullet meant for her lover was disrespectful to say the least. There's many reasons why this death was problematic. First. She was killed in nearly the same way that Tara from Buffy was killed, thus falling into the barrier gaze trope. Second, she died because of her sexuality. Like, she died because her mentor, her father figure, was afraid that her female lover was a distraction and decided to kill her. But he accidentally killed Lexa in the process. Third, at this point, viewers of The CW and just TV in general had had enough. In the 2014-15 season alone, GLAAD reported that the CW had no regular LGBT characters out of 89 series regulars, despite 3% of its regular primetime characters being LGBT at the beginning of the season. That's insanity to me. In all of the characters that died, in every single, like in the whole group of dead characters, all of the LGBT ones were in there. Like none of them made it. Not a single gay made it. So after her death, hurt LGBT fans made Lexa, just like the word Lexa, trend on Twitter for three days straight. They even raised over $100,000 for the Trevor Project, an LGBT suicide prevention hotline. The combination of all of this led to a movement that was started by angry and hurt fans called LGBT Fans Deserve Better, which was plastered across billboards in LA and even sparked a pledge, the Lexa Pledge, which tasked showrunners with seven tenants for better LGBT representation, with one being, quote, recognize that the LGBT community is underrepresented on television and, as such, that the deaths of queer characters has deep psychosocial ramifications, end quote. So that's what I'm saying. Like, at that time, there, it was just so sparse that people were like, please, for the love of God, stop killing us on TV and, like, actually represent us. And that's really cool to think about, like, comparing it to now, where on Riverdale, there are so many LGBT characters that last season, they killed one, they killed Joaquin, 
spoiler alert, and there was still, still, like, four other LGBT characters on the show. Like, that is how it needs to be done. Like, this Lexa pledge is not saying, hey, you can't kill any gay characters. It's maybe have more than one gay character in your show so that when you kill one, there are more left. Because that's how the real world works. We group together. We flock together. There is never going to be, oh, your token gay friend. Like, that's not a real thing. It's not. So now that we live in a post-Lexa world, to say that representation on the CW has changed drastically would be an understatement. In comparison to the Zero series regular LGBT characters on the CW in the 2014-15 season, the 2017-18 season saw 11% of series regulars being LGBT characters, and 16% in the 2018-19 season. In fact, they're currently the leader in broadcast networks for LGBT character inclusion, with Fox trailing by 5% and NBC even further by 8.3%. Those figures come from GLAAD's annual Where We Are on TV report, which details how each network is doing in terms of representation by, like, by network or by the amount of people of color are in- included in their LGBT representation about how many different bisexual characters or lesbian or gay or trans or, you know, whoever. So they compile all of that information for whatever TV season they are covering and they do it every year and they put it out into the world. And it is such an interesting report. If you ever wanted to read it, they have all of their archives up on their website. Um, if you just Google GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, Um, where we are on TV. For nearly every show on the CW, a queer character can be named. For some, even more than one. DC's Legends of Tomorrow, the CW's time-traveling superhero misfit show, has Sarah Lance, Ava Sharp, and John Constantine. Three out of their nine series regular characters are LGBT, with two of them identifying as bisexual and Ava as a lesbian. Riverdale has multiple LGBT characters as well, with Cheryl Blossom, Kevin Keller, and Tony Tobaz all being series regulars. Another huge step made by the CW was also introducing the first transgender superhero with Nia Nall slash Dreamer, who is portrayed by trans actress and activist Nicole Maines on their show, Supergirl. Sure, having all this representation is great, but is it any good? Legends of Tomorrow pushes boundaries by showing Constantine shifting between men and women, and it allows them to push against the inclination to read him as either straight or gay. Nicole Maines has said that people on set and in the writer's room are dedicated to telling Nia's story as honestly and respectfully as they can, and that the Supergirl writers have been extremely open to her input as an actual trans woman. Overall, the CW is currently knocking LGBT representation out of the park, and you can see it in action on Riverdale, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Jane the Virgin, Legacies, Arrow, Charmed, Black Lightning, The Hundred, and so on and so on and so on. And, you know, for me to be able, I, I wrote all of those shows kind of as a joke, but to hear all of those shows and to know that each show has at least, at least two LGBT characters on it is just so cool. And I, I really quick just want to talk about Shoney, who, for me, I think is one of the best LGBT or specifically like lesbian sapphic kind of couples that I've ever seen. They had a scene in either episode 14 or 15, I know it was before the musical episode, of switching between Shoni having sex and Archie boxing. And Archie boxing probably got, you know, like three minutes and then Shoni sex got the other three. That was such an incredible scene and it was i think the most ex- like explicit or like yeah i guess the most explicit scene that we've i at least i've ever seen on the cw 
in terms of like especially like these these love scenes between two women on cable networks who are very much slave to ads and and keeping that at the highest tv 14 rating in terms of that for them to show two women be together on this this show and and to have it be intertwined with those archie boxing scenes they made it unavoidable because they're you know going back to like the hundred like clark and lexa's like love scene was like them kissing and then they got on the bed and then we saw them like in the bed and then it it's implied what they were doing and then you pan away and it like goes out of focus and then that's all you see for this you get like close-ups of their eyes close-ups of their like touching close-ups of of faces and and expressions and all kinds of stuff that i never ever would have thought that we would have ever seen on cable tv and i just think that that is such a big deal because they actually got this moment and then they also got to fight afterwards they got to break up which was just awesome i don't know i just i think shoni is so well done on this show that it's just criminal that people con- consistently just dismiss riverdale as a show when they're doing such cool things with representation another cool way that shoni is being like kind of definitely treated as one of the main relationships on the show they got to sing 17 with betty and jughead in the musical episode like that is huge for me because in the carry the musical episode their duet got cut and for them to basically take the forefront in this next musical like dead girl walking was literally just a shoney song for them to like dedicate that song and then basically candy store was their song and 17 was their was half of their song like for them to get that kind of importance on the show is just so cool so if you haven't given riverdale a chance at least check it out check out the shoney scenes on youtube they're definitely worth a watch so now that we have all this representation what good does it do and why does it matter first of all television is the dominant channel used to reach the public. And because of this, the way people are represented on TV shows holds a lot of importance, which leads to further acceptance. This is especially impactful when paired with the CW's target demographic, which is women ages 18 to 34. The CW has one of the smallest demo windows in all of broadcast TV, as well as one of the youngest among the adult channels. This allows the representation to not only help those who identify as anything other than straight to establish a positive self-image, but it also allows them to develop it at a younger age. It also allows those growing up with hardly any LGBT people around them to experience those characters, which in turn makes them more likely to be accepting of other gay characters on television and eventually in the real world as well. The fact that The CW is putting at least one LGBT character in every single one of their shows allows the younger generation to accept and see themselves on screen as well as create a more accepting community for them simultaneously. By showing such a wide range of LGBT characters from superheroes and high schoolers to aliens and even villains, The CW reaffirms that no matter who you are or where you come from, you deserve to have your story told. So, in conclusion, LGBT representation still has a long way to go, but progress is being made, especially over this, over at the CW. 
Most importantly, the network has taken care to learn from its mistakes, Tara and Lexa, as well as many others, and apply that to their current lineup of LGBT characters, ensuring that they're providing even better representation than they had before. It may not be perfect all the time, but the progress is what matters the most. The fact that we have a generation of teens growing up on shows like Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl and Legacies with more and better LGBT representation than we ever could have imagined allows a glimmer of hope to shine through for a brighter, more accepting future. So, um, I, I think that's it. I, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm really passionate about this topic. I, I love the CW. I love all their shows. I, I'm a, I'm a CW fiend. I watch most of them, but I, I genuinely think that they are making progress and they're kind of leading the way for representation and that people should follow their lead. But I definitely think that they deserve some credit for trying and for leading the pack because they are. Fox is behind them in LGBT regular characters by 5% and NBC by like 8 Like that's a decently big margin, I think, for the amount of characters that Fox with probably a bigger lineup of shows has. So I'm just, I'm really excited to see where this representation goes and, and what new doors the CW will continue to open and, and what, um, just what cool discussions we can continue to have about representation and hopefully not talk about the dead lesbian trope anymore. Or the barrier gaze trope anymore because I'm sick of it and I wish we could stop. And in terms of the CW, it kind of looks like we finally can. So, yeah, so uh, I think that's it for today. Uh, Sorry about that rant at the end. Um, I thank you guys so, so much for listening. Um, Let me know what your thoughts are. If you're a CW apologist, kind of like I am, or if you disagree with what I said, maybe you're a hardcore Twillow fan. Maybe you hate the CW with a burning passion, which I don't blame you. Um, but just, yeah, let me know. Let me know what you guys thought. Um, let me know if you were surprised, maybe, by, by the numbers. Uh, I know I was when I looked them up. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.